Hello to my listeners. This is Pastor Randy Starkey. I did these teachings on the end times and the return of Christ in several series several years ago when I was pastoring at Victory Church in Peavely, Missouri. One third of the Bible is prophecy, so we really need to be familiar with it, especially as it relates to our soon coming future. Although a few of my comments in some of these messages may be a bit dated, and a few of my ideas are still developing, the truth of God's Word never changes. And there are at least three things that I remain strongly convinced of. All three of these I will touch on in these messages. So number one is this. The prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ were fulfilled literally in real life and in real time. So I have no doubt the prophecies concerning the end times and the second coming of Christ will be fulfilled in exactly the same way in real life and in real time as the Bible describes. I believe it is a huge mistake to spiritualize away end time prophecy. The books of Daniel and Revelation are for sure filled with symbolism, but those symbols represent real events that are going to happen in real time. And it's all getting closer. And number two, I believe God's people will be raptured, caught up to be with the Lord before God's wrath is poured out on the terrible sin and evil in our world. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says Jesus delivers us, not just protects us, delivers us from God's wrath to come. However, I don't believe that will exempt us from Satan's wrath and persecution of true believers and the revealing of Antichrist before the rapture happens. That persecution and pressure we are actually beginning to see happen even now. That is why Jesus said things like we must endure to the end, be ready, watch and pray, don't be deceived, and that we must be about our Father's business and not draw back. And then finally, number three is this. God is not done with Israel. Jesus was Jewish. God loves the Jewish people and the land of Israel. When Jesus returns, that's actually where he's going to land, on the Mount of Olives. There's much to say about Israel and the Middle East, and all of that is coming very fast. And so, I, as I said, I will cover all three of these points in these messages. And these are things that we need not be afraid of when we have surrendered our heart and life to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we're walking close to Him. We have His direction, His guidance, His love, His grace, His power. And the Bible even says, look up, for your redemption draws nigh. However, in these days, we all need to be walking really close to Jesus. And let me say a word to any of you listening today that maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
Maybe you've even been hurt in church, or maybe it's been all religion to you. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And Jesus wants you to know him. He is the only way to have your sins forgiven. He is the only way that you can get to heaven. None of us can be good enough on our own. He is the only way to really experience victory in your life and be prepared for eternity. He left heaven, came to earth, gave his life on the cross for you, shed his blood for you that you could be saved and be forgiven. The Bible says there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. He's the true Savior. So I pray you will open your heart to him, receive him as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to forgive your sins so that you can be ready when he returns. It's really not a pretty picture and there is much to be afraid of because God is God and sin must be dealt with. And so without Jesus, we really are in a world of hurt. So open your heart to him today. Hey, a good way to find out more about that, just go over to our church, Victory Church here in Peavely. And uh, uh, they have an awesome, uh, Pastors Dan and Paige Lord are doing a great job. There's an awesome little book there you can pick up free called Fresh Start. It will give you everything that you need to get you going on your walk with Jesus. So all of this is why we must not only be saved, but be spiritually strong, awake, alert, and serving God. That's why I did these teachings. We have to stay strong in Jesus to know what's coming soon in the end times. And like Noah built the ark to the saving of his household, we must stay close to Jesus in the building of his church because the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And that is our forever family. So listen carefully and then check it all out in the Bible for yourself. God's love and blessings to each of you as you dive into these teachings. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, how's everybody doing tonight? Doing good? Well, we are... I got one few folks coming in still. We're on, we're going to pick it up in chapter 18 tonight. I'm sorry, 17. And we'll be looking at, okay, if you remember last week, we kind of ended at, at the end of chapter 16, which um, was the end of the bowls you know, which is the final judgments of God. And actually, at the end of chapter 16, it's moving into the Battle of Armageddon. And then at the very end of chapter 16, it talks, we have our first mention of this word Babylon in verse 19. And uh, you might want to circle that word Babylon there in Revelation 16, 19. So and now what we're going to look at in Revelation 17 and 18, there, there's this huge interlude, you know. And then in chapter 19, we're going to pick it back up where it gets real exciting with Jesus coming out of heaven. But chapter 17 and 18 are these long chapters on, uh, and, and really it's like an interlude 
uh, on this whole thing of Mystery Babylon. We're going to talk about that tonight. And uh, remember how Revelation is moving sequentially, but what, what John is doing or what's happening in the vision is that at different points in the book, it kind of stops and amplifies or describes better, you know, what's going on during this time. And it may cover, sometimes it covers three and a half years, sometimes it only covers maybe uh, just one event or whatever. But but if you think of Revelation like that, it moves through it chronologically, but then every once in a while you, you just run into these sections where it's really expanding and exploding, you know, what's happening during this whole time of, uh, of Daniel's 70th week. And so we just went through this time of the trumpets and the bowls, and remember, we're not here for that time. That's really the time where God's wrath is falling. The beginning of Daniel's 70th week is kind of the wrath of man, God begins to let sin run its course, which, you know, I mean, it's amazing. You know, you're, I was just watching last night on the news, and I was watching these candidates, you know, these candidates in a couple of these states. And, and these guys, like each of them have written this seamy, sexy book. And, you know, they're arguing about which one of them has written the worst one, you know, because they're accusing each other. And, I mean, they were, they were reading some of these scenes that are in these books. They're reading this on national television, and I went, my gosh, you know, I mean, if they'd have read that 50 years ago, they'd have probably been shot, you know, or the whole station would have been taken off the air. And um, I just, I saw afresh how God is just allowing sin to run its course, you know. And so we're going to enter into that time of of, um, of birth pains where we kind of call that the wrath of man. And then um, during the time of Antichrist, it'll be the wrath of Satan. And then during the trumpets and the bulls, it's going to be the wrath of God. By that time, you want to be right. <laughs> you know? And so, um, and then really, you know, that's kind of, then it was coming, and we just finished reading about that, and we're coming into the Battle of Armageddon. Now, all of a sudden, we have this big interlude in chapters 17 and 18, and then we jump back into some things in chapter 19. So, um, I've given you in your notes tonight um, some what I call key entities and events, some key terms, and some key commands. And... Um, how all that relates together. So let's pray. And then what we're going to do is we're going to um, read some scripture and then we're going to talk about it. Okay. All right. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this night. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your salvation in our lives. We're just so grateful tonight, Lord, that you have redeemed us out of the kingdom of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of your son. And so, Lord, we rejoice tonight that we know you, that we've been saved, and we want to be all we can be for you in these days. We want to do all you want us to do. And so I pray, Father, open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears and the Spirit to understand what's going on in these days, and uh, that we would be uh, of those where you said, Lord, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, that we could glorify your name, live for you, and... Uh, be those people, Lord, that spread your love and your kingdom. So th thank you for this time, Lord. I pray quicken us, refresh our bodies, refresh our minds, Lord, tonight by your spirit, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's pick it up here in chapter 17. And again, as I said, chapter 16, verse 19, kind of introduces this subject of Babylon, and uh, that's kind of what we're going to be looking at in these two chapters. All right. 
Picking it up in verse 1, I'm reading out of New King James. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with amazement. I mean, just this whole picture here is just so dramatic and otherworldly. Um, you know, it's absolutely incredible. But what it's pro- projecting here, you know, is spiritual information and spiritual uh, realities and truth that we're going to need to know. Verse 7, but the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. Remember, we've already read a little bit about that in the kingdom of Antichrist back in chapter 13. So this is going to tie into that, except we're seeing it from a little different angle or a little different dimension of this woman. All right, verse 8, the beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Now, those last three verses can be very confusing. We will come back to those and try to make some sort of sense of that uh, (laughs) before we're done here, all right? All right, so it gets worse. Verse 12, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. You might circle verse 14 and just write chapter 19 next to it because that's actually like a little forward-looking prophetic statement right now, you know, to what we're going to read in chapter 19 about the Lord coming out of heaven on a white horse. So it's just, it's just in the middle of all this stuff about Babylon, uh, you know, there's just this, uh, 
<laughs> interjected verse four, verse 14 that is prophetic of what's coming. All right, verse 15, Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. So in verse 17, you get this very strong sense that that in spite of all this craziness going on, God is in total control. He knows absolutely what's going on, even though many of the players are totally clueless. All right, verse 18. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Let's read a couple more verses. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory, and he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues, for her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So let's stop there and and, and cover that section. Pretty wild chapter, isn't it? And so it's like this whole, again, a whole new switch in gears and a whole new angle to give us more spiritual truth about what is going on during this time. Now, the first thing we see here is we see um, that there's going to be a judgment, verse 1, and it's going to be a judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. We're told a little bit later here, I forget which verse it is, the waters are peoples. Let me see, what verse is that? 10, is it 10? 15, okay, yeah. So we're actually told there that the waters are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So we get the sense here that this harlot is influencing many peoples. In other words, basically the whole world, you know. And so tremendously wide influence, God is going to judge her. And then in verse 2, it says, With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So you really see, you know, you'd say in kind of an earthly way here, sex and alcohol, but we're applying it spiritually, okay? These are not, this is not literal sex and it's not literal alcohol. These are spiritual realities and God oftentimes uses physical things to teach us spiritual truth. And so the whole thing here is that we are a spouse to Christ, you know, as our true, uh, faithful one. We're to be corporately, you and I are to be the bride of Christ. And personally, of course, we are to be faithful to Christ. And what the Lord is saying here is that this harlot, which really we're going to see 
represents a kind of a false religious system uh, as well as it ties into the world system, which really has to do with things like economics and political power. There's going to be three forces. I think we talked about this earlier. Three forces that are going to be very much very strong in the kingdom of Antichrist, and and it's going to change a little bit as it goes on. But there's going to be false religion. There is going to be political power and persecution, and there's going to be economic consequences and persecution because the whole thing of of taking the mark of the beast without that mark you can't buy or sell so we have religious we have political and we have economic and basically all those are wound together in what we would call you know in general terms the world system and uh there at the end of this chapter if you notice the beast turns on the harlot and destroys the harlot well, if the harlot represents false religion and uh, as well as, you know, in a broader aspect, uh, the harlot sits on the beast. And so we'll see when we get into chapter 18, the whole economic system being destroyed. So they kind of all are woven together. But the harlot especially, she's dressed in purple, scarlet. She's got a gold goblet. What is that? That's religious trappings. The harlot is really representing false religion. And she's tied in the mystery Babylon, and uh, we're, we're not going to have time to cover all this tonight, but the reason she's called Babylon is because really false religion that is rebellious against God and it doesn't really follow the Lord has its roots in Genesis chapter 10 with Nimrod. And Nimrod was, one, was, was the grandson of Noah, and he was basically just a rebel, you know, and um, some translations call him a mighty hunter before the Lord, but actually, a better translation is he was a mighty hunter against the Lord. You know, he was a, he was a, a strong, just rebellious guy. But he was the one who was responsible for the Tower of Babel, the city, the first city of Babylon, which was destroyed for a while, and then, then the empire rose up again later. But actually, false religion was born in Babylon. That's biblically and even historically, if you, if you read history, you know, the first really organized false religion uh, had its roots with Nimrod. And uh, Nimrod built this, you know, Tower of Babel to heaven, you know, and the whole thing. He, he ruled, you know, with, with an iron hand. But um, that is why the reference here is to Babylon. Because if you go all the way back to Genesis 10, after the, you know, mankind was evil, God judged through the flood, and then, you know, Shem and, and, and um, uh, uh, Seth, I mean, uh, Shem especially, you know, there was a real godly line there. But um, Nimrod, who, um, I'm trying to remember which one of Noah's sons, I, I get lost in all the names. But anyway, Nimrod himself was the beginning of really what we would call, you know, false religion. So that's where the idea of Babylon comes in. And so you have this idea of fornication being not true to the Lord God, you know, not true to the God of heaven. And uh, then the other thing is when you when you bring in the topic of wine, you know, we, we bring in another thing here that, that w when you're drunk, you know, you, you're not in your right mind. You, people can't get through to you. And so the thing is we got to understand when people start drinking of this deception in the last days, it's like it becomes harder and harder and harder to get through to them because they're drunk. They're drunk with the wine of the wrath of that fornication. 
It's unfaithfulness to the God of heaven, but they're so intoxicated with the world system, with Babylon and with false religion, which is the harlot who rides the beast. They're so intoxicated with that fornication and that wine that they become very hard to reach. And it's actually starting to happen now. Yes. I mean, like right now, you take, for instance, there are sections of what we would even call the body of Christ who are starting to say, hey, you know, maybe homosexuality is not so bad. You know, maybe, 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 maybe it's okay if they're ministers. I mean, it's just a deception that starts building and, and it's, 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 it's unfaithfulness to Christ because Christ says it's a sin. You know, we're not, we weren't made to live like that. So it's, it's, it's not being faithful to Him. And then second of all, it's, it's like drinking of the wine of false religion and the wine of the world to pretty soon where, where people get so polluted and so blitzed spiritually that to try to get through them is very hard, you know. And only the power of the Holy Spirit and only the Word of God, you know, has the power to break through that. That's why, you know, when Jesus preached, and this is the way I like to preach, you know, they said, whoa, he's not like the scribes and Pharisees. He preaches as one who has authority. <laughs> that's the only thing, see, that's ever going to break through people's deception. You know, and so these are very powerful, you know, spiritual metaphors of what this, and, and I believe the reason the Lord took two chapters on it is because he wants us to realize what we're dealing with in the last days. You know, we're dealing with this mystery Babylon, and, and a mystery is something that is not immediately obvious. You have to have discernment, and you have to have understanding to know what's going on. You know, and so, I, you know, some people uh, make Babylon one particular um, church. Some people make it uh, uh, decadent Protestantism. Some people make it the Catholic Church. Some people make it uh, other false world religions. I don't think it's necessarily... Any one of those, I think in the, in, the, in the end times, as we get closer to the coming of the Lord, we're going to see kind of all those things starting to come together. And it's going to be kind of a false one world religion. And actually, Antichrist is, is going to use that. He's going to use that to try to, uh, uh, you know, get, consolidate his power. But when he breaks his covenant with Israel in the middle of Daniel's 70th week, and he goes in the temple and proclaims himself as God, that's when he burns the harlot with fire. And basically he says, well, I don't need you anymore. And he declares himself as God. And that's when he becomes a deadly wound that's healed and the whole world marvels after the beast. But it's a setup. It's a setup of, of a, of a one world system and the whole idea of living apart from God. You know, and of course, false religion. And there's many aspects of different parts of the body of Christ that are falling into this right now. What I just mentioned about homosexuality. Also, I mentioned last week the whole thing of, of idolatry and the whole thing of the presence of Christ in, in some kind of, um, physical thing, you know. By the way, Nimrod, when, it's amazing how the devil tried to, has counterfeited things in, the, in false religions. Nimrod, in his, uh, false religion, and in the uh, ziggurat there in Genesis 10 and, and the temple, that was where the, the beginning of temple prostitutes started. So it was a very sensual, very um, uh, just sexual, you know, anything went, you know. And his his wife was named Semiramis, and they had a son by the name of Tammuz, and who actually in their religion, he was, he was, he died and then was resurrected again. 
Guess what that's like a false thing of, you know. And then um, Semiramis was called the queen of heaven. And so without going into too much detail, you know, I mean, you, you can you can obviously see here. I mean, that was the beginning of 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 goddess worship. And we got to understand, you know, one of the, let me just turn to one verse real fast. Second Corinthians chapter 11. This is, you know, it's, it's amazing. There's some things in Christianity that are just keep it simple, you know. And Second uh, Corinthians 11 says this. The Apostle Paul said, oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. And uh, But anyway, he goes on and talks about, uh, you know, and in Galatians, he says, if anybody preaches another Jesus, let him be accursed. But that whole thing of simplicity of devotion to Christ. And actually, in Nimrod's false religion, there was this thing where when Tammuz died, all the priests had to um, weep. And uh, Semiramis kind of started that where she would weep for her son Tammuz and um, there's there's a lot of things you got to understand that go, go on here that 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 it, when, when 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 they're not built on Christ you have to ask yourself what are they what are they built on, but some of these different things that you've read about like weeping Madonnas, you just need to stay way away from that, stay way away from that kind of stuff because let me tell you something God doesn't work through idols, He doesn't work through statues, okay? It's not like I said last week. It's not wrong to have a cross or a statue of Jesus. Have you ever seen a picture of that huge statue of, of Christ over um, in Brazil? I mean, that thing is awesome, you know. But how many of you know that statue has absolutely no power whatsoever? It's just to remind us of the real deal. So, you know, the thing is, the only way you can ever access Christ is in your heart, by the Spirit, through the power of the blood of Jesus. He's not in an idol. He's not in a statue or some kind of thing like that. And so, anyway, there's going to be... And false religion will always end up compromising righteousness somewhere. It'll compromise righteousness. It'll compromise Christ in your heart. It'll compromise the fact that we're all sinners and only can be saved by the blood of Jesus, you know. So, um, you know, you're not saved by, by any statue or anything that weeps or cries or has pictures in it or, you know, um, you know, none, all that kind of stuff is just, you know, it's it's just it's just false religion. You need to stay away from it. And so you need to re- recognize it. Just you know. And the thing is, by the way, I, I want to make it clear here, where real false religion gets its power a lot of times is not so much from the people in the pews. They're kind of innocent victims. Where it gets its power is the leaders at the top. Okay. So when I say things like this, don't think I'm criticizing a bunch of people. I'm talking about systems, and I'm talking about leaders that you know guide people into false things okay so bottom line is christianity is a faith of the heart you know the only thing we need to do physically is the things that god clearly gives us in the bible what does he give us water baptism communion things like that okay um 
And there's no, you know, just anything that anything that starts manifesting Christ in other ways, you just need to stay away from. Yeah, Marianne. Yeah, it's all demonic. It's all demonic. All demonic. Every bit of it. Every bit of it's demonic. Every bit of it. Christ is the only way to be saved. Okay, and anything that starts adding to Him or or somehow giving you some other path, some other route. You know, let's take a little detour here. Oh, maybe this is good. No. You know, no. Unless it's, unless it's born of Jesus and something that comes through the Holy Spirit, you know, you just need to stay away from it. So, so, and the thing is, let me go back to Nimrod. That was where goddess worship began. The Greeks called her Aphrodite, uh, Venus, you know, there's other names for goddess worship. But the thing is, the in, I'll just be real honest with you. It's the influence of the spirit of Babylon that pushes the Roman Catholic Church to worship Mary. It's a false spirit. Now, can you be saved and still have some push toward that? I think probably you can, you know. But let's put it this way. I don't think it helps. I mean, you know, it's like, hey, I got the Holy Ghost working on me on one side and some demon trying to work on me on the other side, you know? That ain't too cool. <laughs> yeah, Jack. Right. And I think, you know, what's going to happen, of course, is we get closer to this really manifesting in, and we get closer to Daniel's 70th week. Individual people that love Jesus, you know, they're going to, they're just going to follow Jesus. You know, but uh, the thing we do have to understand is, is that there is this harlot of false religious system that's a reality. It's a reality, and it really comes from its leadership. And, uh, you know, we have to recognize it's going to happen. You know, with the whole, all the stuff going on with Islam today, I, I mean, I, I can just kind of start seeing somehow it's all going to, you know, come together some way. And I don't know, I, I, I have no way of knowing exactly what's going to happen. Or maybe Islam will somehow lose some of its power. You know, and uh, I really don't know, you know, but the picture of this harlot, we can see here there will be this whole false religious system. Religion, politics, and economics are going to enter in. And so the Lord says, come out of her. You know, you be a true Christian who follows Christ. Don't get caught up in, you know, some false one world religion as it gets closer to the coming of the Lord. Yeah, Laura. Well, you judge it by the Word of God is what you do. And so, you know, um, for instance, what Marianne just said there about um, uh, Madonna, you know, statues weeping and things like that. You know, you just judge that by the Word of God and, and you know that, that it's idolatry. And you know that actually there's no place anywhere in the New Testament that says we should worship Jesus' mom. <laughs> You know, she's a sinner just like us. She's a great lady, awesome lady. I think sometimes Protestants don't appreciate her enough, you know. But she's not anything to do with us getting to God. Okay, that's what we got to be careful of. And so, and, and you know, that's not, like I said, that's not the only thing that ca can enter into false religion. The whole thing of what a lot of Protestant churches are doing in just, um, you know, one thing positive you can say about the Catholic Church, at least they hold to the deity of Christ and his sinless life and his miracles, you know, you got some Protestant churches don't even believe in the blood of Jesus, don't even believe he was sinless, and, you know, don't even believe in the Mac or the uh, uh, what am I trying to say here? The uh, um, 
Christmas. What am I? I'm, I'm, that's <laughs> yeah. No, that's not the word I want. I'm looking for. Anyway, the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary and Jesus being conceived supernaturally. You have a lot of Protestant churches that don't even believe that. So uh, there's many different ways to fall into false religion, but there will be this one-world harlot. You know. Now, let me say this. Could it be that a leader, and I'm just going to throw some things out here. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean or critical or anything, but could it be that a ruler like the Pope is involved in that or used by the devil in that? Sure, it could be. That's not saying anything necessarily against the people in the pews because the ones that really love Jesus, they'll figure it out, you know, and that's part of our job, you and I, to preach, you know, and declare the the, the power of God and that the only way to heaven is through Christ, you know, and that if there is false things that start happening, we have to warn people. But we're already told here, Revelation 17, that there's this harlot and you got this purple and this scarlet and this golden goblet and all that, you know, it's a really highly religious picture. But uh, here, here's another way to, to say it, too. If whatever is being preached in a church or a religion or whatever, if it's not leading people to Christ, if it's not helping them see that they are totally helpless, lost sinners, deserving of hell, having no hope and no help unless they repent and humble themselves and receive Christ in their heart, anything that doesn't preach that is in trouble. Okay? So that's the way we have to have to judge it. And, and I hate to say it, but right now, in many quarters, you're starting to see people get away from that. Yeah, Kitty? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Tolerance, you know. And so, and it gets very for confusing for a lot of people because they use phraseology like, well, we should love everybody, which that's, that's true, you know. There, there's a biblical truth that we are to reach out and love people. But to me, the two sides of the coin are always love and, and then truth, you know. You, you, we're, to, we're to love people, but you got to tell them the truth. So, in other words, I can, I have no problem loving someone who's a homosexual, befriending him, talking to him, but at the same time, I'm going to tell them what they're doing is sin. You know, and so or or like, let's talk about unity in the body of Christ. I don't believe we should have our little 10 points of doctrine and refuse to fellowship with anybody who doesn't agree with our little 10 points of doctrine. You know, you've got all that religious legalism and stuff like that. But at the same time, I'm not going to do what actually you're starting to see now in some parts of the body of Christ. Say, well, you know, maybe maybe really maybe Allah is just another name for Jehovah. Maybe they really are okay. You know, and see, that's unity that then becomes tolerance and diversity that gets outside what the Bible allows. You know, the Bible allows us to to be one with our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world, as long as they're holding to the basic fundamental truths of Christianity, which is Jesus is the son of God. You know, the Bible is the infallible word of God and that salvation is through Christ alone. You know, you, you can boil down Christianity to two or three basic truths. You know, and really everything after that is, um, you know, just growth and discovery. You know, just like even this class I'm doing on the book of Revelation, you realize there are some churches that if you don't believe a certain way on the end times, you're not even welcome there. Or they would at least look down their nose on you, you know, and they would say, are you premillennial, pre-tribulational, post-dispensational, under da, 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 da. You know, first of all, most people don't even know what they're talking about. And, you know, then you go, well, yeah, I guess if I have to sign that to join, I will, you know. And, you know, and then so there's no interesting discovery, you know. And so 
the Lord told Daniel it was sealed up till the time of the end. So churches that think they got it all figured out are just walking in pride anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, Jack. Yeah, that's right. And the thing is, I'll be honest with you, they're probably what's going to happen is, you know, we're going to we're going to see some pretty good preaching start to happen in the last days. And some of those people that are drunk with with that deception, you know, you know, they're going to it may rattle their cage a little bit. But you know what? I tell you what, if I was smashed and I was getting ready to kill myself, I'd be grateful if somebody picked me up, shook me, slapped me upside the head about four times, <laughs> you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, in love. <laughs> but that's the picture here, okay, is you've got this harlot, and, and, and I believe she's a picture of, of, of false religion and exactly... Uh, how all that'll wor- work out and look, you know, in the last days, hard to say, but, but the spiritual picture is right there. You know, in verse four, it says purple, scarlet, gold, precious stones and pearls, you know, in her hand, a golden cup, you know, um, uh, that, that's the whole thing of, of just, you sense the religiousness of it, you know. And then I already told you a little, verse five, you know, mystery Babylon, I already told you, notice it says the mother of harlots because it was Babylon that the first kind of false religion emanated from and uh nimrod was very much a rebel against god and so uh, just something is because it's done in the name of religion or even if it goes under the name of christian religion doesn't necessarily mean you know that it's really honoring christ look at if i tell you hey all you have to do is sprinkle your baby take communion every week the rest of the time you can live however you want you know i mean that's not going to help you much, is it? That's not going to get you saved. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but see, but God says anything that doesn't honor Him and anything that doesn't bring Christ into the hearts of people by faith through grace and allow God to change you, you know, and make us into the people He meant us to be and set us free from the world and set us free from sin, anything other than that, you know, whether it's little degree, you know, some, some that are off a little bit, there's some that are way off, you know, all of that is, is not good. But there's going to be a major, this obviously is an end time scripture, so there's going to be a major push in the days ahead to a false one world religion. In verse 6 it says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So this false religion will be, will be bad enough that will actually persecute true saints. In other words, this false religion will be sitting on top of the beast. It will be aligned with the kingdom of Antichrist, totally deceived, totally in fornication spiritually, not serving Christ but serving Antichrist, with with, with deceptive spiritual wine, all right, and to the point where they literally are killing true Christians. You know, so, yeah, it, it really is already, I mean, Mm-hmm. Yes, and um, as I said, also we don't—I don't know how Islam's going to fit into all this, but we know they're very—they will very happily kill Christians, <laughs> and no problem, you know. So I don't know how this is all going to work together. But I will say this: Do you? A lot of some of you may know, some may not. But um, anybody here um, 
Of course, I don't think actually they cover it, but in the Catholic catechism, this doesn't get talked about very much, but actually there is a written point. You can go find it, look it up and read it, but where actually they say that they that us as Christians, meaning Catholics, are also one with um, uh, Muslims. So that's already in there. You know, that's a lot of Catholics don't even know that, but that's already in there. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of groundwork, and there have been many meetings already, you know, between various leaders of different one-world religions. And if things in the world get, you know, crazy enough, you could easily see how how there could, you know, the devil could use that to bring people together, and it would be a, a false, you know, religious system. And they would persecute. You know, they would call us narrow, narrow-minded, you know, old fogies, whatever, you know, just for saying that, hey, you know, I mean, salvation doesn't come through Allah. It comes through Jesus, you know. And, man, you, you get started calling narrow. So anyway, um, th- 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 this false system here is actually persecuting true Christians. All right, verse 7, but the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman. Let, let's move ahead here. Okay, verse 8 now. The beast, <laughs> this is where it gets really, these are tongue twisters, right? <laughs> the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. So what does that mean? Here's what I, I believe that means. The beast that you saw was, okay, and um, what that's speaking of there is the Roman Empire. Okay, the beast that you saw was and is not, all right, the, the Roman Empire ceased to exist, you know, we, we, it ended, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. So really the whole idea of the Antichrist's system over in Europe there is it's like a revived Roman Empire, you know, and it, it, it will come out of Europe. And here we have the Lord declaring that it ascends out of the bottomless pit. So it's supernatural. You know, Antichrist gets his power directly from the devil, and the bottomless pit is the abode of demons. All right, and those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. In other words, those that are Christians, true Christians, will be able to see through that. And remember now, we are we, we switch in looking at this whole thing of Babylon and, and the harlot, and the beast, we're back now to the middle of Daniel's 70th week. Okay, where, you know, the, the Battle of Armageddon, we had moved in chapter 16 all the way to the end. Now, again, this is an explanation of, of what actually is taking place during, and really, I believe, um, like what Marianne said earlier, you can see it developing now. But, of course, during, I believe, especially when Antichrist makes his covenant with Israel, one of the things that will be happening there is that his political and economic power, this is before the mark now, will be teamed up with a one-world religion, a false religion that will be used to try to bring peace to the world and to try to bring some sort of sanity to the world because people are getting nervous about the world being out of control. Well, one of the things that they're going to use is not just politics and economics, but religion, you know, because a big part of the problem today is what, the Islamic terrorists and all that? So how it's all going to come together, I'm not exactly sure, but but, you know, um, it's going to happen. So it's obviously the devil doing that, and it's, it's a false thing. He'll ascend out of the bottomless pit. Okay, now watch at the very end of that verse. When they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. 
Okay, so again, it's the whole that that could have a reference there to his wound that was healed, but it also could again be referring to the fact that the Roman Empire was, and then it ceased to exist, and then came into being again as the kingdom of the beast. Now let's it amplifies it more here. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sit, sits. So the first thing we're told is that these seven heads are seven mountains. Well, I'm sure you guys know from history that Rome sits on seven mountains. So, and, and again, I don't believe this only has reference necessarily. It could have reference to the Catholic Church being involved in this, but also it also has reference to Europe. In other words, out of Europe, you know, is where all of this Antichrist empire is going to develop. But yet the woman has seven heads and she is related to the seven mountains, you know, on which the woman sits. So that's why I say, is there the possibility that somehow uh, Rome could be involved with other aspects of what's going on in the world to end up? And again, I'm not talking about the individual people and individual congregations. I'm talking about a system. You know, is it possible that could happen? And I think definitely, you know, definitely possible. Because of, you know, the imagery here is pretty strong. Okay, now, verse 10, it says, There are also seven kings. Five, five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. So this is a reference back to that statue of Daniel in the Gentile empires. So five have fallen, you know, Babylon and Assyria and the Media Persia and all that. Those five have fallen. One is, so Rome existed right then during his time, and the other has not yet come. And that's speaking of the kingdom of Antichrist. It hasn't come yet, okay? And when he comes, he must continue a short time. So really, the kingdom of Antichrist is very short compared to the other Gentile kingdoms, you know? So this is kind of imagery that's describing, um, you know, this whole thing of, of the kingdom of Antichrist. All right, when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast, that, <laughs> this gets wild here. The beast that was and is not, okay, is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. So look at this makes sense. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven. So the last one of the seventh was Rome, all right? And uh, the beast that was, speaking of uh, tyrannical, like, rulers of Rome, and is not, all right, or it could be that his, his wound that was, uh, there's a couple different possibilities here. It could be that his, his wound, you know, he actually died and his wound was healed. But it says, is himself also the eighth, meaning the kingdom of Antichrist is, is not just Rome, it's unique. It's, 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 it's not just a revived Roman Empire and it's not just the Roman Empire. It's, it's unique to itself. It's actually much bigger and much badder than that. Remember in Daniel, he described it as a fierce beast, you know. And so, um, and actually, you know, there, there are some commentators that actually feel that, um, it being an eighth kingdom that, uh, you know, they get into some kind of speculation here. They feel even people like Hitler represented a, a forerunner of Antichrist. And so, to be really honest, to, to exactly know exactly what each one of these things is referring to is probably, I don't know that we could say we could say exactly, you know, 
look at verse 12 too. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with a beast. So in other words, there's going to be ten nations. This, this we can be pretty sure of. There's ten nations that will somehow give their sovereignty to Antichrist during that time. So in Europe somewhere, regardless of how many, how many nations are in the European nation, there will be ten nations that will join together with Antichrist uh, in, as he consolidates his power in Europe. But, uh, and then back to that whole thing, you know, of, we talked about that whole thing of the image speaking last time, but also the whole thing of the mark controlling, buying, and selling. What's the one thing we have today that really will allow Antichrist the ability to do some of that? In the natural now, I'm not talking about spiritually, I'm talking about in the natural. What's the one thing that is now available to him worldwide that can be used to help control buying and selling? Computers. Yeah, there was no computers in John's day. But right now, they have computers. Actually, there's a program on tonight, I believe. Somebody was telling me there's a program on tonight on MSNBC called Big Brother that they know far more about you than you realize what they know about you. And they can track every single person in the world. It's not that hard, you know. So Antichrist, I'm sure that will be one of the tools he uses to control, you know, the whole buying and selling thing. But these ten kings, there will be, you know, they will will be allied, allied, with Antichrist. And, um, you know, I think also in verse 10 that the seven kings, there's no question that refers to Daniel's statue because five have fallen. One is, that's Rome, and the other has not yet come. Well, the one that has not yet come yet at John's time was, was the kingdom of Antichrist. And when he comes, he must continue a short time, okay? And uh, some the, the areas that maybe there's a little bit of room for trying to figure out what, what really... The Lord's talking about is the beast that was and is and is not. That could have reference to either the wound on his head that was healed, or it could be a reference to the fact that Rome was, then it ceased to exist, and then now, you know, we have this one final. Rome was the last great Gentile empire that ruled the earth. And uh, we know Antichrist, kingdom will be the final Gentile empire that will attempt to rule over the whole, that whole picture of Daniel's statue and the stone hitting in the feet and it falling over. All right, so let's move on here now. And then, um, and then in verse 13, all those kings give power to Antichrist. Then that cool verse in verse 14 about Jesus is going to, uh, you know, um, uh, win the victory. And, uh, then, then the whole thing of how the harlot influences many nations and all that. Uh, the ten horns which you saw in the beast. Now watch this. These will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. So when is that going to happen? Most likely at when, when Antichrist walks into the temple, the, then the whole need for this false one-world religious system will be over. And so, you know, the marriage between religion and politics never works real well. Let me say this. The church should never control the state the state should never control the church. The best relationship of state and church is the church being the conscience of the state. And that's why we, as the body of Christ in America, we have a responsibility to speak prophetically to our nation. That's why I'm saying what I'm saying on Amendment 2. You know, I'm not going to back off of that. I mean, they can kill me, send me to heaven. You know, I don't care. If that's, if that's the will of God, that's fine. 
You know, but the thing is, we have to speak prophetically to our nation that the church is not the conscience of the nation. Dear Lord, who will be? The wine of the false church? I doubt that. People are plastered spiritually already. So if we don't speak up, who's going to sober them up? You know, so we have to, the church should be the conscience of the nation and speak prophetically. I don't want to have, I don't want to have Christians control the United States because if we were to, if the, if the church tries to control everybody, how many of you know that's not the way you get people saved? They got to get saved because they want to get saved. So Christians can influence. And then if people want to follow God, then it's great, you know, but it's never good for the church to control the state or the state to control the church. That marriage never works. And it didn't work here either. And Antichrist turns and destroys the harlot. And guess what? He declares himself as God. <laughs> and, and we know who, we know who's, we know who inhabits him. <laughs> it's the devil. And that's when all hell literally breaks loose and he begins his persecution. And it's not too long. The Lord lets him go a little while and then, praise God, he'll put an end to it. Hallelujah. And man, you'll see a little later on that. That's exactly what they sing when the end comes. Hallelujah. For mighty is the Lord God that judges, judges her. And so, uh, as I said before, God's not afraid of a fight. I believe Christians are going to manifest the power and the love of God under the reign of Antichrist, and then we're going to be out of here. God's not, God's not ever afraid to put up his people to the test. He wasn't afraid to do it with Job. He's not afraid to do it with us. The devil came to Job, came to, came to God and said, Hey, yeah, yeah, I see you're serving Job. Yeah, the only reason he serves you is just because you bless him, you know. Yeah, you just take away some of that, he'll curse you to his faith. And then God goes, Oh, yeah? Want to see something? <laughs> you know, now, and so the Lord allowed, you know, the devil to do a, and you know, they go skin for skin, you know, after, you know, his kids died and all that. I'm going to tell you something. We have far too much of our vision in this life. You go, man, that's terrible. God let Job's kids die. Well, where'd they go? Heaven. And so what's this little bitty vapor of a life compared to heaven anyway? Nothing. So he saw them shortly anyway, didn't he? They didn't lose. They won. You know? And not only that, then, then with Job, God blessed him with double for the rest of the time he lived on the earth. That's pretty good. <laughs> you know? So, but, you know, uh, God wasn't afraid to show the devil that Job would stand for God no matter what the devil did. And that's exactly what's going to happen with the church in the last days. He's going to throw it in the face of the devil, that there's people that will love God no matter what the devil does. All right, so anyway, and then um, verse 17 there, for God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. So God's in absolute control. He knows exactly what's going on. He's only going to let this show go on as long as he wants. And, uh, and the woman who you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And so uh, there's, there's a, econ- a whole thing of the great city being Babylon. Again, the main thrust here is religion, but it ties into economics. The whole idea of a city has economics and it has uh, politics, you know. So religion, politics, and economics are all going to be wound together in this whole picture of the woman sitting on the beast. All right, now, and so um, we read this whole thing there all the way down through verse 4 of chapter 18. And the Lord said, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. What is he saying there about come out of her? Is he saying we should go hide someplace in the in the in the... Woods, you know, is he saying we should like, um, 
uh, you know, not intermingle or any, with anybody in the world. No, he's talking about the system. Come out of the system. We are to be, according to Jesus in John 17, we're to be in the world, but not of it. Jesus said, I pray, Father, not that you take them out of the world. Well, here he's saying, come out. And Jesus said, I'm praying that you don't take them out. So what's, what's he saying there? He's saying, come out of the system, don't come out of it physically. Jesus said, I pray, Father, you don't take them out of the world, but that, listen, what catches now, but that you keep them from the evil one. So that's the key. See, we have to be Christians that live, listen to me now, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the love of God, in the faith of God, in the midst of a world that is drunk with fornication and doesn't serve God and drunk with the wine of worldliness. We have to be on fire for God in the middle of that, living for the Lord Jesus Christ. So a good question to ask ourselves all the time. Make sure that you are not sipping of the wine of the world. Make sure you're not getting drunk on the wine of the world. You need to be in the world, but not of it. Make sure the thing that moves you and motivates you in your entire life is the simplicity of your relationship with Christ. Okay? So I tell people a lot of times, you know, man, if you're spending 14 hours a day watching the devil vision and two minutes a month reading your Bible, you're in big time trouble. You are drinking the wine of the world. You're sipping at the golden cup of the world. You can't do that. Okay? You gotta make sure that you are not part of that either that false church and not part of the beast system not part of that mystery babylon which again is it's not just religion but it's economics and it's and it's um uh politics too you know and uh you got politicians today where they'll we've had them in missouri where they've compromised their values on abortion just to stay in office drinking of the wine of the world you know Hey, I'd, ra- I'd rather walk with Christ and let him fire me out of some political position and go, go to heaven with the Lord than be burned up here. <laughs> you know? So um, we have to realize that, uh, you know, two chapters on this is, is very powerful from God. And so that's his circle verse 4, you know, uh, is come out of her. But it's talking about coming out of the system. For her sins have reached to heaven. God has remembered her iniquities. Let's read a little bit more here now. Render her just as she rendered to you. Repay her double for her works. Her here is talking about this whole system, this great city, this harlot that sits on the beast, you know, with a prime emphasis on religion, but also a political economic thing, you know. All right. Um, Verse 7, in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen. There's that, that goddess worship. I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. Now, again, it's actually switched gears here. Watch this in verse 10. Standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. 
So part of this idea of false religion really gets into economics and commerce because it's people that also not just not just you know religion in name, but it's worshiping at the world system too. It's worshiping at the system of economics and commerce where people live for this life, where they look for their happiness and they look for their fulfillment in just things. You know, they live luxuriously. It's not, it's not that God can't bless people. It's just that that's what they lived for. They lived for this world system. They looked for their happiness in their career or in whatever, you know. And, and we'll see here, the whole economics of the world system are going to come down. And there are people today, I mean, Lot's wife was so enraptured with her place in Sodom that she looked back. She loved Sodom she loved the world system more than she loved God. She became a pillar of salt. Boom. Yeah. Big business, yes. Yep. Yeah, there, there's no question that, uh, that um, there's a lot of corruption. In, I mean, you look at the whole Enron thing, you know, and... Um, uh, Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's it's part of the whole picture, you know, and so which really is a good lesson, you know, for us as Christians, whatever, wherever we're involved in business, wherever we're involved, you know, we should do everything we can to bring the kingdom of God and to bring the righteousness of God, you know, to the situation. You'll never, you know, it's like one of the things we have to understand. It's like Paul said, (laughs) what was he said there in first Corinthians? He said, he said, if if you were not to have any contact with the world, he said, you'd have to come out of the world, meaning that you'd have to just leave, you know. So, you know, you may work for somebody who, you know, you may work for a big company even who, you know, you know that, that something's going on there are not completely right. Well, just be the best light you can be. Try to influence people, you know. Try to wake them up from the wine of the world and, and let God, you know, guide you. And so um, I'm going to be talking in some weeks ahead here about being a contagious Christian and we're called to be salt. We're called to be light. You know what? Salt doesn't help anybody if it's in the shaker. You have to get the salt out of the shaker. So it, it's, uh, but yeah, there, you can see, I mean, you can see evil developing in the world. And so our job as Christians is to somehow salt. Another thing salt does is preserves. Uh, you know, I believe one of the, we're, we're actually holding back some of the judgment of God, you know, if we're salty. But the Bible says if salt loses its savor, it's good for nothing but to be trodden underfoot. So I don't think we want to become unsalted. I think actually the church in America wasn't too smart when we let prayer be taken out of schools and we let abortion come back to America. Wasn't too smart. So, hey, but God, you know, God's always got a grace and a second chance, right? So we can make a difference now. So we need to be on fire for the Lord and, um, you know, be in the world but not of it. Okay, and uh, so verse 10 there, standing at a distance for fear of her torment. Alas, alas, that great city Babylon. Whenever you see the word Babylon, just think of the world system. That's probably the, it's false religion and it can have, you know, religious impact. But also remember that just worshiping things, worshiping idols, you know, find anything that rebels against God. Uh, Nimrod built that whole city of Babylon in rebellion against God. And for in one hour your judgment has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. 
Watch his merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies. Oh, yeah, man, they're trying to sell bodies in Amendment 2, trying to sell, and souls of men. You know, there's traffic in in body parts and traffic in in uh, souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. All the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. They're weeping and wailing over the world system. They're weeping and wailing over this rotten, corrupt world system, and they don't even care about the kingdom of God. They don't love Jesus. They love the world. What did God say? If we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. We have to be in the world. We've got to live in the world, but we're not to be of the world. So, you know, it's like I run into some people, man, they'll get, they'll get more excited about talking about their career and talking about the Super Bowl and talking about this or that than they will talking about Christ. It should be the opposite. I mean, I enjoy sports too, but I'm much more excited about what Jesus is doing than I am about Super Bowl. You know what? I actually realized the other day when the Cardinals won the World Series, that Sunday after that Friday, I forgot to even say anything about it. I went, oh, my God. I felt bad at first, but then I said, well, maybe that's a good sign. Maybe I got my head in the right place, you know? (laughs) I said, I said, I should have at least congratulated them, you know? (laughs) But anyway, so, you know, it's like, and it doesn't mean I don't, let me just build another fence here. It doesn't mean you don't appreciate things like I love the mountains. Man, I, I'm a skier. I, and, you know, and so, but I don't live to ski. You know, I mean, I, that's just something I do to rest and to get a break. You know, I, my whole life is focused around the kingdom of God. And if I knew I needed, you know, if I knew the Lord was needing me someplace, I'd let go. I just let go of that skiing and go do what God wants to do. So it's not like, you know, you can appreciate the, you can appreciate God's beauty and God's creation and, and God's not against you, you know, having some things as long as things don't have you. See? So people that love the world, they, they, they love the world. They don't love God. Okay. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand in the distance weeping and wailing, saying, alas, alas, a great city that was clothed in linen, purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance, cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. And really it all happens with the trumpets and the bowls. When God pours out the trumpets and the bowls, it's like history. History, it's all over. Now watch this. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Now, I want to say something here. They're not, this is not rejoicing over people that are going to hell or rejoicing over people that are being judged. It's rejoicing over the end of a corrupt world system and that finally the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, all right? So we have to understand, you know, the world system is very, again, let me say it again, it's very intoxicating. It's very tempting. Remember the three enemies I talked about Sunday, the devil, the flesh, and the world. The world is a system of 
of operating without God. And it's a very intoxicating, very tempting thing. But we have to live above it. We have to be in it, but not of it. And we have to manifest Christ and not let, not let that world system suck us in. All right, verse 21, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutes, and trumpeters shall not be heard anymore. Looks like they closed Las Vegas. No craftsman of any craft (laughs) shall be found in you anymore, and the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore, for your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. So they weren't living in the Spirit of God, they were living independent of God. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints, and all who were slain on the earth. And so obviously the world system doesn't like true Christians that really preach people need to repent. And get right with God. It doesn't like that. All right, so it's coming down. World system's going to end. Lord says, don't be part of that. You know, walk with the Lord. Verse chapter 19. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! (laughs) Yeah, all right. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments because He has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed uh, uh, shed by her. Again, they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. So the world system, religious, political, economic, all the, the evil side of that apart from God is judged. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants, those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah! These are probably the, all of us in heaven, you know, that are there. And uh, a bunch of other people, the Old Testament saints, and everybody who's up there. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Give him glory. Watch this now. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. That's you and I, you know. We're finally ready to get married to Jesus. (laughs) He's got us all pretty (laughs) and fine, white, you know. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I just don't believe that's going to happen until we walk through that time where we pass the test of Antichrist. We We will be ready. We'll have the Old Testament saints. We'll have you and I. We'll have the church ready. We'll have Israel restored. And um, the marriage is getting ready to happen. And there's more about that later. All right. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Circle the word acts. God only not, not only wants to work in your heart. You know, that's where it all starts. But he's got things he wants you to do. Okay, he's got things for you to do in these days. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So, hallelujah, God, when everything is right, he likes to party. He likes to celebrate, all right? Not the way the world does apart from God, but God can throw a better party than the world can, a righteous party. All right, and he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you do not do it. 
he, he, John was so impacted by what the angel showed him, he just fell at his feet. He said, I am your fellow servant and you, of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. That's just the simplicity of it. Testimony of Jesus. No more, no less. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We were asking earlier about testing visions. Man, if it doesn't glorify Jesus, then question it. Then verse 11, oh, here it comes, man. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Now we're kind of back into the chronological flow here, all right? His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. So there's some new revelation of Jesus that will be coming forth during that time. And we don't know it yet, but there's a new name, so... As we get close to going to uh, heaven, the kingdom come, there's, there, there's a new name. He just doesn't tell us what it is, but it's a new aspect. And um, how many of you know God always goes forward? He always goes from, you know, glory to glory. All right. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. It's by the blood of Jesus only that we're saved. And his name is called the Word of God. I, you know, you'll, you'll hear me when I preach a lot. I always go back to the Word of God. You want to you judge something or know what's right or what's wrong or how to test something? Always go back to the Word. The Word of God will always give you the answers. And Jesus is the living Word. He is the Word of God embodied. Verse 14, And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed Him on, on white horses. I believe there's angels in that army, saints in that army. You know, all the, all the ones that are with the Lord, they come out of heaven on, on white horses are following him, you know, and they, they don't even have to, uh, they really don't even have to fight because Jesus does it all. <laughs> I think they're just there for, they're just there to accompany him. <laughs> Verse 15. Now out of his mouth, everybody say his mouth. <laughs> I preached on this Sunday. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Now, right in the margin there on verse 15, chapter 14, 20, remember how last week we talked about the blood going up to the bridles. This is where, now I'm going to have to stop here, but I will pick it up next week. But you remember where Jesus was on Mount Zion with 144,000 back in chapter 14? Okay, well, he's on earth right there. He's on earth. And here he is coming right out of heaven. Well, he slips from earth to heaven here in the meantime. But, but what happens is Antichrist, all the rebellious of the earth that are part of, that love Babylon, that have taken the mark, they actually think they're going to come to Jerusalem and defeat this guy on Mount Zion. You know, they see, and, and what's happening here, and we don't have time to talk, I'm, I'm out of timing in the night, but Israel is being restored. When Jesus appears on Mount Zion, the Jews are repenting. You know, you and I are already in heaven. We have resurrection bodies. They're in earthly bodies. They're actually going to go into the millennium in earthly bodies. Okay? And uh, I have more to say about that next week. But um, I believe he's, he appears in chapter 14. Am I right on that? Where he stands, he stands on Mount Zion. Yeah, chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion. So there he is on earth. And guess what? The battle of Armageddon is Antichrist. He's going to go against the Son of God. Ooh, 
bad move. <laughs> bad move. Bad move. And so, in the meantime, Jesus has gone to heaven and grabbed his army. <laughs> you know? And uh, what's happening in chapter 19 is really the, the battle of Armageddon is what's happening here, all right? And verse 16 says, He had us on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's why it's a bad move. <laughs> then I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried with a loud, loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come! This, this is almost gross, but it just shows you how God ultimately will judge sin. Come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him. That's again a reference back there where we... Um, where we read that earlier before we had this interlude about Babylon. It goes back to chapter 14, verse 20. And their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. The beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Those two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which is the Word of God. Again, it's powerful supernatural work, not just... Nat you know, Jesus doesn't need an AK-47. He's got the Word of God and the power of the Spirit. The rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of Him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. End of story. Victory for Jesus. End of Antichrist. End of the false prophet. End of Babylon. Beginning of the kingdom of God on earth. Whew! Quite a story, isn't it? <laughs> All right. So I'm going to have to stop there because I keep my, I have this thing called creep. Each week I creep a little bit further. But, uh, so we'll talk about a few more things next week. Next week actually is the last week and I'll be looking at chapter 20, which is the millennial kingdom, 21 and 22, which is some things about eternity. Pick up a few odds and ends. And the last week, week nine, I'll just do nothing but Q and A. And so we'll brainstorm. I'll tell you all the questions I don't have the answers to. <laughs> but you know what's happening? I believe with all my heart is what's happening is God is beginning to open up more and more of the end time scriptures to his church. Why? To get us prepared. I didn't have time to talk today, but if you, if you look at these key commands and look at some of this, the key terms, it talks about the apostasy that the day of the Lord's not going to come to. There's a great falling away first. That's the New Testament picture of that false church. Okay, And the key commands from Jesus are things like watch, pray, remember, take heed that no one deceives you, be ready, be alert, be awake, come, come out of her. Whoo, man, I think, you know, I think God's saying something to his church today. And so where God guides, he provides. He's not going to leave us unprepared, but we got to have ears to hear what the Spirit's saying. Amen? All right. Hey, God bless you guys. Thank you. You got a question, Raj? There's really, you know, some people feel like I could give you a few scriptures out of time, but there's a few people that feel there's a few biblical references to the United States, but I think it's kind of stretching it. And I think really there is no specific reference to the United States. And here's what that, well, here's what I believe that means, that each nation will go as that nation chooses to go. So that means if it's not in the Bible, you know, that what we, we've got to do is, you know, and of course we know, you know, I don't care how righteous of a nation you are under the time of Antichrist, you'll be persecuted. You know, if you're living for God. So it doesn't matter what country you're in. But I believe the more 
we can influence our country for the ways of God, number one, it, it does one really, really very positive thing. It keeps the judgment of God away. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> Anybody here want to be living in um, Russia right now and have to live there and preach the gospel? Or China? You know, I mean, no, you know, I mean, our nation has been blessed. So, you know, what we need to do is just do the best we can as Christians in America. Uh, it gives us a greater freedom to preach the gospel. Okay, and you know, you can tell already that's being threatened a little bit, can't you? You know, in Canada right now, it's illegal to say that homosexuality is a sin. Can't preach that. There was a pastor almost thrown in prison uh, two, two months ago. In Canada, yeah. So they're much more liberal than we are in the United States, but... Okay, hey, if anybody, I'm going to put some, Sunday, I'm going to put some extra vote no on Amendment 2s out there. If any of you want to go stand at your polling places, I'm planning on doing it Tuesday. As many, I can't do it the whole day, but as many hours as I can, I'm going to pass out flyers at the polls because uh, I believe those kind of things, you know, we start allowing that kind of stuff in Missouri. We're just asking for God, to, you know, to, to judge. So let's do everything we can, you know, and then God's hand will be upon us. Okay? Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great night.